Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning, it's 8.30. I'm Paul Boger, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Legislative Preview Week continues as we sit down with edu- State Education Superintendent Kerry Wright. Then Mississippi's top crops for 2016 add up to a good year in agriculture. Plus, our Money Talks finance pros offer a year-end checkup for your pocketbook. Look at your uh, deductibles on your health insurance. Most people are, are scrambling to try to get in all of those um, checkups, um, pharmaceuticals, everything done. Because, of course, January starts the clock again, and you're faced with that high deductible. So uh, if you can stack all of that, Tell me about it's it. <laughs> very helpful to do that. And in the book club, 100 Things to Do in the Capital City Before You Die. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's top education official says any potential changes to school funding should be student-focused. You'll recall that lawmakers have contracted with New Jersey-based EdBuild to review Mississippi's education funding formula known as MAEP. As we continue our series of legislative previews, we sit down with the state superintendent of education, Carrie Wright. She says although there's much left to do, Mississippi has made progress in the last few years. Number one, we have nailed down the standards. I mean, that was a, you know, that had been a debate. Um, as you know, we put that out for 90 days, and um, over 90% of the people that responded said they absolutely were in favor of everything that they'd read. And even the 10% that weighed in, not, there wasn't one person said delete anything. Uh, they may have said rewrite it or whatever. So we've got our standards in place, the most rigorous standards that we've ever had. We've got an assessment now that is aligned to those standards, and we did not have that before. Um, and so now what teachers are teaching, they can be guaranteed that they're going to be assessing as well. Uh, so there's not a misalignment there. Uh, we've got an accountability model that's finally finalized um, with the new two components of acceleration in college and career readiness. So you've got a strong piece of um, foundation that teachers can depend on. And as I've been talking to teachers through my teacher advisory council or I uh, attended uh, Chairman Moore's teacher advisory council on Saturday, they're saying just keep it going. Don't change one more thing. Don't change the assessment. Don't Let's don't look at the standard. We are happy where we are and the teachers are feeling uh, very 
very much supported around that. So those are things I think have been going well. We've been looking at, obviously, the advanced placement classes because with the acceleration component, uh, my concern was that we did not have enough access to um, advanced placement classes, and we've now uh, had that initiative going, and that's shown significant increases, not only in participation but also in outcomes for children, and particularly in uh, subgroups of the population that have been underserved, uh, minority students, et cetera, so, and children of poverty. So that, we, that I feel very, very good about. You've had the early learning collaboratives that are now in place. We're now moving into this year with an additional million dollars, uh, so we've now got 14 of them. Uh, the results of those have been very positive because we've been able to see the results of those children coming out of the collaboratives and into kindergarten, and they're scoring much higher and more prepared than they ever were before. Yeah, Mississippi seems to continue to struggle in a lot of areas. Uh, you mentioned low-income, at-risk students, especially uh, you know, while we are seeing gains in a lot of the wealthier, more affluent districts, you know, a lot of the poorer ones, Holmes County, JPS, those districts, they, they seem to continue to struggle uh, at in ever increasing difficulty. Well, and I think that's there's uh, you're you're right. I mean, obviously, you know, we're very proud of Tunica. That's a, the conservator district. But I think that you've got to start using data more. And I've been talking to the teachers about that around how do you improve instruction, and you've got to use data in order to do that. You've also got to make sure that you've got the right leaders in place and in, in, in as principals around the state. And I think um, superintendents are starting to take a closer look at that, who they're putting in charge. We've also been providing more professional development to our school leaders so that they're understanding what they should be seeing when they're when they're in the classroom um, but it happens in the classroom at this point in the process what do you think the key things are that lawmakers that local districts that the department needs to concentrate on to really see improvements not just in reading because we know about the third grade reading gate and that has seen improvement but also math scores and science scores. We're going to continue, obviously, with literacy, no doubt. But our math people are saying that. We're, people are asking for math coaches. Uh, when we went out on our listening tour, our ESSA listening tour, uh, and we asked people what kind of support could MDE provide, uh, to a one, they were saying, we would love to have math coaches just like we have literacy coaches because they've seen such a difference that the literacy coaches have made. I just met with a group of teachers, and they're saying, yeah, but we also need that for science, and we could also use that for U.S. history. So for us, it's how can we come back with the resources that we have and plan that kind of um, those kinds of activities. You know, we've been uh, – and ELL is right behind that, the English language learners. Uh, with ESSA um, making that a big part of the plan, uh, people are dying to know what are the best practices in teaching children whose English is not their first language um, English because we're going to be measured on English proficiency. Technology is something else that came up. Uh, the teachers are saying we could use more professional development on how to use technology in the classroom. So you want us using um, Chromebooks or you want us using, you know, this is a, you know, or uh, smart boards or whatever, Promethean boards, then we, we're going to need help on how to do that. And and I think we can provide that. We, uh, we've done a great job of providing the Literacy PD. I've got a lot of confidence in, in the department. We've got a lot of talent here. Um, and I think that now we can start looking at what are the other areas that we need to provide. But you're right. It would have to be in the other content areas. Funding has always been a big issue, consider where especially the now that we're, next, the state NPR is, is possibly taking another look at facts. the EP and taking another look at the funding formula and how that works and how not just, not just the department, but how districts spend their money. Mm-hmm. How do you see Mississippi's funding formula now? Is it? Do you think it's doing a good enough job? Uh, and do you think that it's it's reaching students where as lawmakers wanted to, or is it? 
you know, is, is there room for improvement? It's hard to really say whether it's working or not working when it's not been fully funded, you know, for the past, you know, seven years. Um, I think what Ed Bill, the organization that's coming in to really take a look at the formula, has really lifted up a piece that I think is very powerful, which is like a weighted student formula or a student needs-driven formula. Because, as I've said, students with disabilities and English language learners are more expensive to teach simply because they require more services than children that are not do not have a disability or already speak English. So, um, I, or, or gifted students who may need an additional piece of instruction um, that they're not getting. So I think that what I'm hoping from EdBuild um, with their recommendations and what I'm hoping for the legislature is that they really consider how that can change so that districts are getting the funds they need to support the students they've got. For example, I've got I've got a district um, on the coast that says he's got about 14% of his population are English language learners. When I was doing my superintendent's tour, I had a superintendent say, I don't even have not one English language learner in my entire district. And yet we send them the same kinds of money. So under a weighted student formula, the students that he's got um, down the coast would be weighted differently than the student that this students that this other superintendent does not have. Same thing with students with disabilities. So it would give them the additional money that they need to pay for those additional services. So I'm hoping that that's what, that's what comes out of that build. Superintendent of Education, Kerry Wright. Mississippi's top crops for 2016 add up to a good year in agriculture. Find out what tops the list next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Every week on Innovation Hub, I talk with the thinkers, researchers, and visionaries who are crafting our future. Tune in to hear conversations about how tribalism shapes us, what new research on obesity reveals, how chicken changed America, and why math class should be reinvented. Coming Sunday, January 8th at noon, hear Innovation Hub on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Paul Boger. It's been a good year for agriculture in Mississippi, according to the state Mississippi State University Extension Service. Cotton is up. Corn is up. Neither of them are the state's top ag producer, though. MPB's Mark Rigsby talks with Extension Service agriculture economist Brian Williams about the state's top crops. Brian, let's go over the top five crops in Mississippi from one to five. So the uh, top uh, producer in the state would be our, our poultry industry. Total um, poultry production was was just under three million two point nine or two point nine billion dollars uh, worth of production. Um, broilers made up uh, the largest portion of that at, at two point eight billion. Coming in at number two, forestry. That that could mean a lot of different things, can it? Yeah, um, the the main is is the the sawwood. Um, we, we've got a, a whole lot of pine in in the state, uh, and that's that's uh, number two. It's it's quite a ways behind poultry at, at 1.4 billion compared to the 2.9. But but yeah, it's there's there's a, a large large portion of the state that's that's dedicated to the the forestry industry, uh, particularly the sawwood. And soybeans at number three. Yeah, soybeans are third in the state at just over a billion dollars worth of production. Um, we had uh, a few less acres this year, uh, about 250,000 fewer acres this year than we did a year ago. Uh, but we had improved yields from a year ago, about 50 bushels per acre. 
um, which would put us at the second highest yield on record. And then prices were about 10 cents higher than a year ago on, on soybeans as well. Corn comes in at number four, but this isn't the kind of corn that you're going to find in your grocery store to eat all the time, is it? Right. It's uh, corn that goes into um, a lot of it. A lot of the corn goes into um, feed. So, so poultry is number one, number one in the state. A lot of the corn that we produce actually goes into the poultry industry as, as a feed. Uh, so we had about $435 million worth of uh, corn production this year in the state. A uh, few more acres this year. Um, than a year ago, uh, a little bit lower yield and a little bit lower prices, but the uh, increase in acres um, helped to, to drive a, about a 27% increase in the value of production for corn. And finally, number five, cotton. Yeah, cotton um, was, was uh, that industry had a really uh, big year this year. Um, we had an 87% increase in the value of production for cotton lint. Um, we had a, a 40% increase in, in acres, a little bit better yields than a year ago, and then we had better prices than a year ago. So uh, a really good year all around for cotton. And, of course, a lot of the crops that we have here in Mississippi depend on the weather. How did the weather impact the overall agriculture economy? Well, as, as a lot of people are aware, we, we really had a drought this fall. Um, fortunately, we were able to get most of our crops um, through the year with, with plenty of moisture uh, before that drought hit, so we really weren't affected by the drought. So um, that, that was we were real fortunate there that the drought held off until most of the crop was already made. And where is catfish on the list? I know that Mississippi is the number one catfish-producing state in the nation, but where, where do we stand with catfish agriculture in our state? So catfish had a... a not as, as good of a year as, as some of our commodities. Our, our production is down a little bit, um, but we still had $158 million worth of, of catfish production in the state, which is, is a, definitely a significant contribution to our ag industry. It, it had a little bit of a down year. Why is that? It did. Um, a big part of that is that, that we've had fewer um, acres in production. By acres, I mean the, the total area of the, the catfish ponds that we have. Um, we, we saw a reduction in that, and, and that's the, the main reason behind the uh, decrease in the values. Tell me about the quality of crops in our state. So in terms of quality, I, I think we're doing really, really well. Um, the, the one thing that really comes to mind um, in terms of quality and, and what we're really good at producing is cotton. Um, here in the U.S. and, and specifically here in, in Mississippi, the, the cotton that we produce is, is among, the, among the best quality uh, of fiber in the world um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, there's not much contamination. It's just real good quality. And, and globally, our customers, that, that's what, we're, what they are looking for. And so, you know, quality-wise, we, we do a really good job of putting out a quality product um, whether it's whether it's cotton, whether it's the poultry that we're putting out, it's you know, we we produce some high quality products in the state. Agriculture economist Brian Williams with MPB's Mark Rigsby. Our Money Talks Finance Pro offers a year end checkup for your pocketbook. That's next. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Flint, Michigan raised awareness about leaded water, but a new investigation finds hundreds of places where the lead problem and health effects are even worse. 
he thinks that this affected his entire life. He could have been something different if not for the lead paint that he was exposed to in a rental property all those years ago. It's next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Paul Boger. 2016 is drawing to a close, and although some would call it a merciful close, there are still a couple days to get some end-of-the-year tasks done. Nancy Lotrich-Anderson is a finance professor at Mississippi College and the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. She joins our Karen Brown with a year-end checklist for your finances. Okay, um, the first thing you need to do is think about your investment portfolio. And uh, first, look at your retirement plan. Have you done the most you can do as far as contributing to that plan? Um, By law, there are limits to how much we can contribute to the plan. So talk to your human resources uh, department and find out. But you can make a contribution in a lump sum? Maybe. It depends on your particular plan and the people you are uh, dealing with because it does require some effort from them as far as managing the payroll side of it. And if it's within your workplace, a 401k in your workplace, right. that a might be a different... a 401k or a 403b. And uh, I know at Mississippi College, uh, we get notices from the human resources person telling us what the maximum amount we can give and this is what we've given so far and do we want to adjust before the end of the year so if you have some extra you have some room then that's a great place to go ahead and build up for your retirement Um, the other thing is to look at your regular what we call the taxable investment portfolio if you have one not everybody does and look at to see because you're going to have some dividends and capital gains within that account during the year and you're going to pay tax on those it's going to be at a lower tax rate than your income but it's still going to be some tax to pay. So you're going to look at that to ask the question, are there things that I can do before the end of the year? Maybe I have some losses among my investments. Can I sell those losses? And then that's going to help me on the taxes. And maybe I still want to own those things, but I have to wait 31 days to buy them back because of something called the wash Uh, loss rule, and um, I can do that, or I can find some way, because all of our taxes are based on this calendar year, and of course our investment portfolios should be ongoing. Uh, So you'll look at that. So there are some things that you can do. We usually start in our office in November looking at all the accounts to see what kind of tax liability have we created? Is there something we can do to mitigate that? Um, And that's all that investors are doing right now. You see lots of activity at the end of the year as we try to take advantage of those tax rules. And then you need to look at your contributions. So um, this is a good time to look at what your income is and talk as a family about how much you want to contribute in total. What have you given during the year? Is there something additional you want to give? With our clients who are uh, tend to be higher net worth, have bigger investment portfolios, that's when we have conversations about, well, can we give away appreciated stock? So you've had an investment, it's grown in value. Instead of cashing out of that stock or that mutual fund and then giving cash to a charity, most recognized charities can then receive those shares. So you can then give away the shares And you get the full value on the day that you give them away as a contribution, but you don't have to pay the capital gains that would have occurred if you cashed out. And they have an investment on their hands then. Well, what they usually do is as soon as they get it, they sell it. 
and uh, that's that's just very common. They sell it and then um, uh, use that money. So most charities already have brokerage accounts set up. You just contact that charity, and we do that a lot for our clients. Contact the charity, ask the question, do you have a brokerage account? Can you receive these securities. They give us the information. We simply do a letter and our clients sign the letter. But that has to happen before the end of the year. So we're in a push right now to get all of that done. What other recommendations would you make to anyone listening um, before the end of the year? Ah, before the end of the year. Um, Look at your uh, deductibles on your health insurance. And so most people are are scrambling to try to get in all of those um, checkups, um, get in their pharmaceuticals, everything done. Because, of course, January starts the clock again, and you're faced with that high deductible. So uh, if you can stack all of that, it's (laughs) very helpful to do that. And uh, and this is also just a good time to look at your entire situation, your health insurance plan. uh, Do I need to add dental insurance? Do I need to look at disability? insurance uh, and start planning for that. And the the more your family is dependent on you for that income, the more important it is for you to have backups like disability insurance. And that's where life insurance comes into play. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson is an associate professor of finance at Mississippi College and president of New Perspectives. Nancy, thank you very much. Happy thank New Year. Thank you. To you too. You can also hear Nancy every week on Money Talks. It's Tuesday mornings at nine here on MPB Think Radio. Are there 100 must-do activities in the capital city? We'll hear from one author who thinks so. Next in the book club, this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Would you like to show your appreciation for the things in life you're thankful for? One way is to support MPB by donating a car. Running or not, your contribution will benefit our statewide mission. And you can get rid of an unwanted item. The donation is tax-deductible. To donate or just to learn more, go to mpbonline.org. At our website, you can find details including tax benefits and same-day service. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Paul Boger. The capital city always seems to be fighting an uphill battle when it comes to its reputation in other parts of the state. But author Natalie West is out to change that with her new book, 100 Things to Do in Jackson Before You Die. She joins us in this week's book club. I hear people say all the time, there's, not any, there's nothing to do in Jackson. And I know for a fact that that's not true. There's plenty to do. And so when this book came to me, I was thrilled to be able to highlight 100 things. Since most of our listeners live outside the capital city, uh, Why is it important for you to expose things to do in Jackson to maybe more Mississippians or or more people in general? I think that goes back to people thinking there's not that much going on in Jackson. I think that we all live in our own little bubble and we do our own thing and we um, we don't really see those things around us or we're not exposed to them or. Um, it can be intimidating to go to a new place or do a new thing. And um, one of the things that I loved about researching this book was that there are so many rich experiences that we can have in Jackson that don't really neatly fit into a category. For example, um, uh, Big Apple Inn, um, the food is, is phenomenal. You won't find anything like that anywhere else. But uh, that's, to me, like only half of the experience. I mean, the history 
of uh, Big Apple Inn is almost puts it in the culture category, you know. So there's there are a lot of really cool things that you can go do in Jackson that are deep into the culture, not just go have lunch. Jackson also has a surprisingly uh, good music scene here in town. Absolutely. Um, it was so strange trying to categorize some of these places that are food and drink that are sort of, um, they fall into the food and drink category. And I had to weigh how much do they contribute to the music and entertainment community? And some of that, actually, some, some of those actually migrated from the food and drink category into the music and entertainment. Uh, for example, Big Sleepies, which unfortunately is closing at the end of this month. So I want to give them a shout out because they are having a um, end of the year party. And so um, they have been a place where a lot of bands have played for the very first time, mm-hmm. um, indie rock bands. And so they've they've been phenomenal. Natalie West, the author of 100 Things to Do in Jackson, Mississippi, Before You Die. Thank you so much. Thank you. 100 Things is available at Jackson Area Independent Booksellers and on Amazon. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, MPB Season Pass. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app in any mobile store. I'm Paul Boger. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Josie Bidwell, the new host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. From exercise and diet to wellness and stress relief, this is the show for you. Email your questions, comments, and show ideas to healthy at mpbonline.org. And listen for me, Dr. Josie Bidwell, on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, Mondays at 11 on MPB Think Radio. It's...